Well, hello, and welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Eric Stoyer. Today on the show, we've got the one and only Errol Morris. It's not every day you get to have a conversation with Errol Morris. I was pretty excited about this one. Uh, back when I was much younger, I saw the thin blue line, and that, that pretty much blew my mind open in terms of what a documentary could be like and how they could be different than the kinds of uh, boring documentaries you would you would see in, in, in school. Uh, of course, much later, The Fog of War, another favorite of mine. Um, you know, Errol Moore is just a master at letting people explore who they are and what they think about the world by, by talking to them at length on camera. Morris's latest is a new movie you can find on Showtime, and it's called My Psychedelic Love Story. It's based on the memoir of Joanna Harcourt Smith, who was a Swiss woman who in the 60s had a relationship with Timothy Leary, uh, the psychologist, provocateur, and of course, uh, champion of LSD. Harcourt Smith, uh, she died in October, not, not long before this film came out, and um, she's just an incredible storyteller. And Morris spent two days with her, interviewing her for this film about the her life's adventures, which somehow seemed to involve every single interesting person and crazy thing that happened in the 60s. I couldn't get enough of her on camera. She was in her mid-70s at the time and just totally vibrant, just amazing tales. <laughs> she was just awesome. Uh, the, the movie's also just a great example of Morris's technique, and uh, he's a fascinating guy to talk to, to say the least. Uh, so he just had these long, deliberative answers in our conversation, so you'll notice that I just kind of let him go and do his thing. Uh, you can reach me at eric at moviemaker.com. Hit me up with ideas for uh, guests we should have on the show, just feedback about what we're doing here. Love to hear from you. And now, Errol Morris. How are you? How am I? The ultimate question. I suppose like a lot of Americans, terrorized. We are grading on a curve when we are asked, how are you doing? Uh, less terrorized than maybe I was a month ago, but <laughs> still terrorized. I've been uh, noticing in the mornings that I, I've, I've been trying to gauge the speed with which I've been aging over the last uh, eight or nine months. And it's, it's like at a two times clip. It's pretty insane. It's, it's incredible how much of a toll it has taken just to be thinking about it constantly. Yep. He's driven everybody crazy. He himself is insane. He's insane. Although I don't know why people just simply don't use that word. The president is insane. Well, thanks for making time for this. And people tell people the version that they were sent is not the final version of the film. What's, what's different in the final? Well, we added some things, changed some things, color corrected it, uh, recorded the music with real instruments. Oh. Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We didn't have time to finish it. When, when did you film it? When did you film uh, this, this interview? Uh, December of last year. So essentially a year ago. And originally it was supposed to be like Wormwood, combination of interview and drama, but guess what happened in 2020? That became not, uh, not as easily possible to make that version of the film. I would say that it became impossible. Is that too strong a claim? <laughs> you would know if it was impossible to do. Um, well, the form that it ended up taking felt very right. Um, do, do you feel that way, having 
you know, look back on the concessions you had to make to make it make the film work? Feels good. I uh, am grateful that we had an opportunity to make it, and I'm glad that we could find a way to make it just essentially using a two-day interview that we filmed uh, last year. The interview, I thought, was pretty good at the time. But what do I know? I'm just a filmmaker. And over time, the film seemed to blossom. I don't know how to describe it. We found a lot of archival material. She had a lot of archival material that she didn't even know she had. Um, we found a lot of graphic material. Uh, I have this absurdly gifted graphic designer and he started working on it. It was a fabulous team of people and it slowly but surely came together. When, when did you first become familiar with, with uh, Joanna Harcourt-Smith? She contacted me because she loved my work and she loved my son's work. She was a fan of Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia and she was a fan of Wormwood. I think more than that, but those are two films that really heavily excited her, interested her. And at one time, I talked with Hamilton about doing it together, the father and son combo. <laughs> but he has been really busy finishing it's a, over a good part of a year, the third season of Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. It's not easy. It's not easy for anybody this time around to get things done some multiple of what it would be under normal circumstances, two times, three times, four times harder, but it's definitely much harder. Yeah, no, nothing's easy right now. Yeah, but we, we did it. I was able to show really the version that you saw to Joanna just before she died. Oh, I was gonna ask about that. So she got to see the film. She did get to see the film. She loved the film. There was a little bit of back and forth, which is interesting. There was a passage which you haven't seen. She asked me to take out five, six minutes from the film about her family. I didn't really want to take it out, but she asked me to take it out, so I did. Mm. I should also add, I kind of love Joanna. I was asked to speak at her memorial service Zoom memorial service. And I said to know Joanna was to love Joanna. And that's absolutely true. She is an extraordinary, extraordinary person. Yeah, she she's quite lovable. There's no doubt about that, even just from having seen the version of the film that I saw. She is a, uh, a, a, a not to not to use the word character in any way that would diminish her as a person, but she is a compelling character. Indeed. People have this aversion to calling people in documentary films or real people characters, but I don't have a problem with it. And <laughs> there's this naive idea 
that there's no performance in documentary. You just take what you can get, but she is an extraordinary performer. She really lights up the screen. I'm sure I've, I don't think I've seen anything quite like it. It's, it's amazing. Her ability to just talk and talk and be interesting and spin these great tales. Um, how does that change the job that you have to do when you go into this? Well, my job really is to get stuff like that and put it on film or digital media or whatever it is today um, or to encourage it, just make it come to life. So it's a joy. It's a pleasure. I've done my job. Uh, so the fact that she loved it, the fact that she watched it five or six times the week that she died. Wow that it gave her just enormous comfort. I think I can say knowing her and having made the film that the film really does capture her. Maybe not completely, you can never capture you know, another human being you know, in all their complexity and diversity. But I think it, it does capture something really important about her the sense of adventure, um, uh, her sense of fun, uh, her sense of absurdity, which I think we share. I mean, I am a sucker for a truly absurd story and this is truly absurd. <laughs> As to characters, it's insane from the Rolling Stones to Andy Warhol to various figures in the counterculture, Allen Ginsberg, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, extradition from Afghanistan, uh, escape from Folsom Prison, Black Panthers. It goes on and on and on and on. I don't. And of course, you, you have you know your your favorite cast of villains. You have Richard Nixon, the FBI, and the CIA. Who could ask for more? Pretty much got it all right there. You do. You have a lot. You got a lot. When when she reached out to you about this, what what specifically was the was the pitch? Was it was it sort of all of this, or was it was it more like, hey, I've written this uh, this memoir. Could you check it? I mean, just how did it come to be this? She wanted me to read the memoir. I read the memoir, Tripping the Bardo, um, liked it, talked to her. There's so many elements. First of all, I was thinking that I would be dramatizing part of the story. There's a whole element of Leary in the story. Um, Leary in prison in the cell next to Charles Manson. Uh, it's unbelievable and kind of wonderful. But drugs was the, the beginning of it. It's, after all, my psychedelic love story. And drugs are part of it from the very beginning. She said something in the film about, you know, that the story of, of Larry had been manipulated over time and that there's this narrative that's kind of congealed out there in the world and, and the film and the, the interviews with her. And I mean, a lot of your movies also are, 
about um, you know how the truth can be precarious, subjective. So when you approach this conversation with her, are you trying to get at the truth or are you trying to get at her story? Let me just qualify a couple of things. The truth is not precarious. Our access to the truth may be precarious, but there's a world out there. It's the famous, I believe famous Philip K. Dick quote that reality is that which doesn't go away when you cease to believe in it. I'm a great believer still in truth, but I'm not a great believer in people as truth tellers. Quite the contrary. We're all unreliable narrators. We are. Every single one of us, unreliable, you, me, and everyone else. You asked a second question, was I interested in the truth here? What really happened? Uh, yes and no. I started, it seems like a thousand years ago, when I first developed the Interatron, which is this device that allows me to maintain eye contact. We're looking at each other, but the Interatron is a way of actually achieving that uh, and filming at the same time. I started doing movies with one person. It may not seem all that heretical, but it is, or at least the way I was doing it. I used it in a whole number of films, and but the first real example of it is Robert McNamara, Fog of War, uh, one person with the Interatron. And something odd happened. It's not an interrogation of what really happened. The Vietnam War did happen. It was a thing. was a thing, yes. Something that I demonstrated against at the University of Wisconsin as a young man. It became an exploration of McNamara. Who is this man? And even more than that, it became his exploration of himself on film because actually there was still film in those days. McNamara's concern about who he was and how he would be remembered is very powerful for that reason. I've never seen anything quite like it until Joanna. Joanna very explicitly tells us at the very beginning of this movie that she's not sure who she is. She's not sure whether she was a CIA plant. She's not sure whether she was manipulated by the federal government in some way or another. She's unsure of her own story in her own life. And the movie, at least in part, is some way her trying to figure out an answer to these questions, which I like. Uh, there's this crazy idea. What is it? Descartes came up with this, you know, I think therefore I exist. There's this idea that we have privileged access to our own brains. We know who we are. I don't think we do know who we are. 
at least I can speak for myself, can spend your entire life trying to figure that out. Capturing it in a story like this is really interesting to me. I respond uh, to it. I'm, I'm moved by it. Have you, have you, um, you got any tips or tricks to share? And it, it, when you go into a, a, a long conversation like this with someone, do you have things that you've developed over time to help them tell their story? Maybe, but I'm not aware of exactly what they are. I created this portrait of a friend of mine, Elsa Dorfman, the B-side, uh, a portrait photographer, among other things. And I was quite interested in the techniques she used. They're very similar to Avedon. I had my picture taken by Avedon. What Avedon would do is involve you in a conversation. And it wasn't a kind of pretend conversation. He was engaged, he was interested. He was trying to find out something about you. He wanted to talk to you and learn something from you. And you'd be in the middle of a conversation with Avedon. It's also true of Elsa. You'd be in the middle of a conversation with Elsa Dorfman and all of a sudden the flash would go off without any warning, without knowing that it was about to happen. And it's part of actually being interested in people. It's not a strategy or a, a technique it's just being engaged by what you're doing and interested by the people that you're filming. I know that McNamara liked talking to me. He told me that. He was willing to give me 10 minutes at first. I'll give you 10 minutes. <laughs> okay. Um, and then after 25 minutes or so we're up, he said, would you mind if I stayed longer? <laughs> no! And then at the end of uh, an hour and a half, two hours, two and a half hours, um, I'm getting tired. Is it possible I could come back tomorrow? <laughs> yes, it's possible. I would love for you to come back tomorrow. But um, he said to me, like talking to me. So that's the secret. That's the secret. That's the secret. It's the secret sauce. It's nothing stranger or more magical or more recondite than that. It's pretty straightforward. Okay. Well, all, all that said, is it something that you feel like you can get better at or that you are, are you better at doing this than you used to be? Probably worse. I don't know. <laughs> I always like when I've done an interview and it comes away, it comes off as a really interesting interview. I think, well, I was pretty goddamn lucky. I found someone really interesting to talk to and she was willing to talk to me. Do you have, do you have a favorite scene in your own movies? Uh, I often think there's, there's certainly favorite scenes or favorite moments, things that people have said to me that seem utterly surreal and strange. I've been fortunate as a connoisseur of surrealism in life. I've been lucky to have heard some really pretty goddamn absurd stuff. 
was I was telling someone about how we were making Mr. Death. This movie involves a Holocaust denier and electric chair repairman. It's a good resume. And because of the Holocaust denial, people in various prisons didn't really want to be photographed with it. They might have been Holocaust deniers themselves or anti-Semites or whatever, but they realized, you know, best not to be photographed with this man. It might cause trouble down the line. So we're down in Tennessee filming in the death chamber. Um, Fred Lucher, my protagonist, had just installed what he called an electric chair system, the Fred A. Lucher electric chair system with his patent pending drip pan. Um, I always wondered if it was self-basting. And the warden didn't want any prison personnel photographed with this man. So what did he do? He locked me and the crew in the death chamber. We had to order out for lunch. Where do you ask for your takeout lunch to be sent? Oh, I suppose we'll have it in the death chamber. Thank you. Death chamber. The death chamber. Thank you. And my photographer, Bob Richardson, kept trying to film Fred while he was smoking. He's a chain smoker. I don't know how many cigarettes he would smoke a day, say six packs. I mean, he was the veritable chimney. And He's smoking away, but every time Bob turns the camera on Fred, he puts the cigarette out. So I finally, I asked them, I said, Fred, why won't you let us photograph you smoking? And he looks at me very much in earnest and says, you have to understand, I'm a role model for children. See, I live for that kind of thing. Yeah. That's excellent. Was there, was that, what, what was your favorite moment talking to, to Harcourt Smith? Oh, there's so many moments. My favorite line is when she says, I always wanted to be with an outlaw. But she has so many really, really good lines. I mean, she's a fabulous, among other things, a fabulous storyteller. She, she really is. Yeah. Um, What's been your impression of Leary over the years? Uh, you, you don't, you know, you know, you don't show your cards much there. I, I can't, I can't discern. Maybe it's not important whether you thought he was important, annoying, both. I met him. I met him just before he died. The only person I've ever met who seemed to be radiating light. Maybe it's a result of all the drugs he had taken. <laughs> he might literally have been radiating light. You know, I've read countless biographies of Leary. I've known people who have known Leary and a good number of people that knew Leary and did not like Leary. But is it really so much a movie about Leary? Obviously he's a figure, a significant figure in this movie. But I'm not even sure the best way to describe this kind of thing. I've described it to some people. I'm not sure this is accurate, but what the hell? 
I sometimes call it the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern approach to history. Don't interview Hamlet. Too many people have talked to him anyway. And anyway, he equivocates too much. And find a way into the story through some unexpected doorway, not the front door, but maybe the cellar door or a window. But again, it's not even a sideway trip into Leary. Joanna always remains the central figure in this story. The failed love affair with Leary is certainly part of it. And her inability to explain it. Maybe like a lot of love affairs, it just came to this abrupt, sudden end that was devastating to her. Yeah, I like the story. I like how, how she tries to narrate her own life and to understand it. I'm moved by it. I, I find her a really, truly compelling character. I do too. And, I, and I'm going to take your advice going forward and not be afraid to call pe real people in documentaries characters. I think that's, uh, I've, I've gotten the go ahead from you. I'm going to consider that a license to use that. Absolutely. Please be my guest. Well, uh, Errol Morris, I love the movie and uh, I appreciate your time. It was great to talk to you. Well, thank you so much. Glad to talk to you. All right, thanks for listening to Movie Maker. Check us out at moviemaker.com, where we post stories every day about movies and movie making and movie makers. Movie Maker's print magazine is an awesome resource if you are someone interested in the art and craft of movie making. Subscribe to that. You can find us on social media, at Movie Maker Mag. And uh, you can subscribe to this podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, of course. Say a nice thing or two about us while you're there, would you? We'll be back soon with another episode of Movie Maker, and we hope you'll be there to join us. Until then, take care of yourselves. <laughs>